You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. It's resolution time, isn't it? Resolution time, New Year's resolutions. Who's got their lists? Got a whole heap of the lists, back pocket, iPad, iPhone, written on the dream board, whatever those things are. It's, it's that wonderful time of year, isn't it, with New Year's resolutions? I was up at the Gold Coast for New Year's this year, so all the craziness of Cavill Avenue and just pure beautiful Gold Coast, right? That's, that's Gold Coast at its finest on, on New Year's. Yeah, it was, anyway, my, my New Year's was pretty tame, but anyway, re- resolutions. We're, all, we're always into making resolutions at this time of year. I've made a few of my own. I made a few. thought I might share them with you. I'll no longer waste my time reliving the past. Instead, I'll worry about the future. I'll not bore my boss with the same excuse for taking leave. I'll think of some more excuses. (laughs) I'll do less laundry, use more deodorant. I'll give up chocolates totally, seriously, 100%, honestly. Uh, I'll I'll find a password other than password this year. I won't worry so much. I'll cut my hair. I'll grow my hair. I'll try and grow a beard. I'll not, I'll not tell Jad, dad jokes during messages like this. <laughs> Seriously, I'm trying. I'm trying. It's new. Remember, we know the feeling. We make, uh, we make resolutions all the time. I love pulling them out this time of year. Always great fun. But why is it that we are like that? Why do we do it? Is it just because it's tradition? Uh, do we go, do it because it's, it's the done thing? Or is there something deeper to New Year's resolutions. I think I'll put it to you that part of the reason why we make resolutions, it, there's, a, there's a fundamental restlessness in our hearts. There's this yearning deep within us for a sense of stability in life and in a world that is just getting crazier and crazier and faster and faster. And so we think if we make a resolution, then maybe this year will just turn out a bit better. And I don't know about you, but my approach to 2014 is a, a bit different this year. You know, I'm, I'm in my 30s now. I'm a mature guy. And uh, I don't know about you, but that age-old adage of, you know, you know what, last year was a horrible year. You know what, this year's going to be, this year's just going to be the, the best. Uh, this, this year, if all of this happened to me last year, you know what, 2014 is my year. It's my year, right? That's, that's, how we, that's how we talk. And I don't know about you, but as I'm growing older, I find that just doesn't seem to work, right? For those who are a little bit older in the congregation tonight, it doesn't quite pan out that way. The, the, the more years that I'm getting under my belt, the more I'm finding that if you want to deal with life, you're going to have to deal with suffering. And if you want to deal with suffering, then you need to do business with hope. That's what we're going to look at tonight. We're in a a little two-part series, and that's where we're really coming from because we recognised last week as we stand on the threshold of a brand new year, we recognise that as we look back at 2013, if we're real, I know many of you here tonight, we're all friends, and some of us have had some real stings. And 2013 didn't turn out to be the year that we expected. And funnily enough, we were making resolutions at the beginning of 2013 and saying, 2013 is going to be my year. And it just didn't go that way. 
And so the question is, is, as we stand at the threshold of 2014, it's okay to make resolutions. I mean, make some resolutions. I think they're a good thing. Resolutions are not a bad thing. The question I want to ask you tonight is, what is the resolution underneath your resolutions? If you're making resolutions, and you can look it up, Google Zeitgeist. I'm in a Google mood tonight. Google Zeitgeist, it's the site that summarizes all of the Google searches for the year. When they look at the resolutions, the top three New Year's resolutions was around career, it was around money, and it was around relationships. And I'm saying, look, those things aren't a bad thing. But why do you want the career? Why do you want the money? Why do you want the relationship? What's a resolution underneath your resolution. And so as we look into this year of 2014, I guess the question I'm asking is what if in 2014 you weren't a person who was trying to escape the trials and a person who was trying to escape the challenges and a person who was trying to escape the hardships that you might have gone through or are going through at the moment? What, instead, what if you were a person this year because of this one thing we're going to look at tonight? How to resolve and a steadfastness and a stability that made you unshakable. I mean, what, what could we look like as a community of people at Northside here if we get this? So that's where we're going. We're going to look at hope. And one of the great places to look at that is in Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read from verse 13. Verse 13 through to verse 19. So if you haven't got your devices with you, you can look up on the screens. Uh, Verse 13, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus And your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. There's the word. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And his incomparably great power for all of us who believe. Hope. And that was the question. What is the resolution under the resolutions? In other words, what is your hope? What is your hope for 2014? Because here's here's where we're going to go tonight. We're going to look, just real simple. I'm going to look at why you need hope. Why is it so important? We're going to look at the nature of Christian hope why it's so different. How is Christian hope unique from the hope that the rest of the world is, has got? And then the third thing we're going to look at is how do you get it? So why do you need it? What is it? How do you get it? That's where we're headed. I guess the first point tonight is the need for hope. Let's take a look at verse 12. Paul says here, and that's who was writing this letter to his church in Ephesus. In verse 12, he says, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. In simple terms, to be a Christian, Paul is saying, to be a Christian is to be a person of hope. Forget all the other definitions around praying, go to church, do this, do that. Essentially, Paul's saying in this passage, to be a Christian is to be a person that is grounded in hope. Now, hope 
that's a position that's totally different from a lot of the rest of the world today. An example would be um, Ernest Becker. He, uh, he wrote this uh, Pulitzer Prize winning book called The Denial of Death in 1974. And, and his big idea out of the whole book, and it's, a th- it's a thick thing, I wouldn't want to have to read the, the whole thing. The, the, big, the big idea is that he's saying there's never been a society in, in the history of the world that is so unbelieving. Where so many people believe that ultimately we have no ultimate future at all. That we live in a world where so many people believe that when you die, that's it. You go into the ground, the worms come in, the dirt goes over, <laughs> that's it. And so that's the backdrop that you and I as believers come up against when we head into 2014. And you see, for a non-Christian, yeah, really, there is nothing to hope for. When you die, there's no heaven. There's no eternity with a beautiful and a wonderful God. But let's extrapolate that thinking a little bit further. Because if you want to think about that a little bit deeper, if you believe that you have no future... If you believe that what you're currently enduring or going through will have no end one day, then it will destroy you. It will eat, it will eat you up from the inside out. And no, we, could, we could cite all sorts of examples from World War II. A more modern example of how that goes is let's look at our friend Chappelle. Chappelle Corby, right? As it was, what was it? She was, what, three, six months into her sentence in Karabakan, is that how you say it? Karabakan prison in Bali. In three to six months, she was already pleading for a release on the grounds of insanity. She, wa- she wasn't like that six months before she's carrying a bodyboard cover over there. Like, it eats you from the inside out. There was, there was no hope for her. And what I'm saying to us tonight is that you, you cannot live without a hope in, in someone or something. And that is because we... The reason is we are irreducibly hope-based creatures. That is, our, our view of the, of the future affects how we live now. Uh, it, it affects what we do. It affects how we think. It affects all of us. A lady, um, she gets two people. She says, you're going to make widgets for the next 10 years. And grabs the two people, says, you're going to make widgets in a dark room with crumbly walls and one of those annoying fluorescent lights just to make it even worse. And, and so she, she comes to the first person and says, you're going to make widgets 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the next 10 years. And as a result of your labours, at the end of it all, I'm going to give you $10. Then she goes to the other person and she says secretly, you're going to make widgets in a dark, crumbly walled room with a weird fluorescent light, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, for the next 10 years, and at the end of it all, I'm going to give you $10 million. Um, Who whistles while they work? (laughs) Do you whistle while you work? I, I mean, could... Could it, could, it be, could it be possible that there is something deep within you if you get this tonight from God's word? That there is a hope and there is a resolve within you that regardless of your circumstances, you can whistle. That there, there is a hope beyond the here and now. And so can't you see it's not so much about the resolutions. They're good things, but it's the resolution underneath the resolution. What, what, is, what is your hope? You need hope. 
So that's it. You need, the first one is you need hope. The second thing we look at is the nature of hope. What makes Christian hope so unique? Because here's part of the problem. When you talk about hope in the English translation, uh, how do we think about hope? We, we think, uh, uh, like, uh, I don't know, I, I hope it's not going to rain today. And what that really means is um, I, would not, I don't want it to rain, but I'm uncertain as to whether it will. We could say right now, I hope that the air conditioning will flip and kick in. <laughs> right? but, but we're saying we've got, we've got no idea if that mystical mechanical beast underneath us is going to kick start within the next 10, 15 minutes. See, see hope, hope in the English word is uncertainty. And the, the Greek word for hope is, is totally different. Uh, you see it in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Uh, it says here, now faith is confidence, certainty in what we hope for and assurance in that which we don't see, right? That's one of those famous verses of the Bible. So in other words, from a biblical perspective, hope, hope, is, not, hope is not wishful thinking. <laughs> hope is not wishful desires. Hope is tangible certainty. Tangible certainty. There's something about it that, that Christians can feel. And that's why Paul describes it here as an inheritance. There's nothing more tangible about knowing your inheritance. Verse 13 and 14. He says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Now, that, that word and, and just that whole phrase reminds me of one of my most favorite verses in the whole Bible. First Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 3 onwards. You know, in his great mercy, he's given us a new birth into a living hope that will never fade, spoil or perish. A glorious inheritance, it says in there in First Peter 1, verse 3. A living hope given through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and into an inheritance that, that can never perish, spoil or fade. So look, what are these guys getting at with and talking about inheritances? What they're saying is that the, the biblical hope is living in a way now that is changed because you're so certain about what your future is going to be. Biblical hope is living in a way now that's changed because you're so certain about what your future is going to be. I was watching rugby with one of my mates once. Wallabies versus All Blacks. Thank you, Sandy. I know you're a New Zealander. And, and this, this game was tight. It was tighter than a fish's backside. It was, it was, it was, they were scoreless. It was, it's all right. Stay with me. Um, and, and, and my mates that came round, we're, we're having a bit of a party to watch the game. And, and every tackle, my mate, he's wincing and he's grimacing. And every wrong call from the referee, he's spewing and he's spitting Doritos chips out of his mouth. And he's not happy about the calls and he's screaming at the television. Meanwhile, Sam, on the other hand, I, I was a picture of grace. <laughs> I, I was a, a, a picture of calmness and and a resolution that has just not been seen before. <laughs> why, why, why so different? Have you, have you ever heard of the term HD recorder? 
You, you see, you see, the, boy, the boys had come round. The, the Saturday night or whatever had not suited us, and so they they had come round, or it could have been an early game. I can't quite remember, but but we'd recorded the thing, and, and they blocked their ears all day, so they didn't hear what was going on. And the difference with me is, I knew the score. Biblical hope, how you view the future changes how you act now, right? And this is what I'm saying. Christian hope is that we know the score. We know the score. I hate to burst your bubble if you're on a one-year, read the Bible in one-year type plan on your iPhone this year, right? But I'm going to flick to the end of this adventure. I don't know if you know this yet, but we win. We win. We get to be with him. We get to be with him or he's coming back. No more tears, no more pain, no more injustice. We win. We know the score, Christians. And yet, and yet we, we scream at the telly and we flail our arms around and we curse God. And we say all this sort of stuff. Christian hope is a life-changing certainty that one day, even in spite of all we're going through, we will have an eternal life in the love and the glory and the presence of our wonderful God. How does that affect you and me today? You know, what, what, what do you do when your circumstances go bad? And what do you do when your life takes an unexpected turn for the worst? I, I mean, this has been my approach. I, I just can't sit with myself at the beginning of 2014 as one of your pastors and preach one of those messages that is overly optimistic and overly chipper to say that regardless of whatever's happened, if you just claim it in the name of Jesus, life's going to be grand. And it's going to be zippity doo dah, you know, animated birds around your head as you walk into 2014. I, I can't sit with that. I know you all too well. You know me too well. You know the year that I had in 2013. And, and funnily enough, we worship a Lord in Jesus Christ who, who told her how it was. He just served everyone up straight and he said, In this world, you're going to have trouble. I hate to burst your bubble, but cheer up, I've overcome the world. And so what do you do when these challenges will come? Now take a look at 1 Peter 3 verse 12 again, verse 6, my, one of my favourite verses in the Bible. It's one I clung to in some of my darkness, darkest moments. It says, In this, in the inheritance, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Here's what it means for you and I today. Peter says, these things have come so that your faith, which is worth more than gold, might be refined by the fire and may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, I, I could preach a whole sermon on I have preached whole sermons on that one verse. But here's what I want to get us in, 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 in summary of it all. I've, I've, I've shared it with you guys before. You know, the words behind that are fascinating because it says, you know, in this, you may have to have had to suffer grief of all kinds. And then it says, in this, you greatly rejoice. And the crazy thing about that verse is the Greek is both present tense. It's saying you suffer grief now. But in this, you greatly rejoice now. You are suffering grief now, but you're rejoicing at exactly the same time. Now, that is one of the great mysteries of Christianity. If you can grapple with that in 2014, that's going to be a nuclear fuel rod for the way in which you're going to be able to move through the challenges of this year. 
the present tense, the both andness of that verse is off the map for so many people. And why? Because, look, for most people, if, if life's going good, you're rejoicing. You know, if, if the job's going good, you're, you're rejoicing. If your job's going bad, then you're in grief. <laughs> and, and yet this verse is saying, even in spite of the challenges, the Christian hope is so utterly unique because it operates in a way that changes the relationship between joy and sorrow in your life. And so they don't relate to each other the way that they relate to people in the world. And the reason is for most people in the world, their, their hope is in the finite things. Remember, you're going to hope in someone or something. And their hope is in the finite things. Their hope is in the things of this world. And the hope is in their circumstances. And so Christian hope is unique because you know, I'm thinking of one of those giant trains, one of the old school ones. You know, that big funny piece in between the carriages. You know, Christian hope is, is different because your hope is, is uncoupled. It's uncoupled from your circumstances. Christians can be in total grief and they can rejoice. It's a mystery. If you've, if you've traveled with me, you know I've been there. You know I've had those moments in which there have been tears of utter grief in my life driving to a hospital and yet for some absolutely bizarre reason, as praise and worship songs were playing across the radio that morning, there were tears of joy. It's, 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 a, it's a mystery. And until you walk through that, I, I guess in some ways you're not going to grasp what I'm saying to you tonight. But it's different. It's unique. That's, I guess that's the possibility that I'm saying that you can have tonight if you don't believe in him. That there is a hope that God is calling you to, that if you get it, there will be a steadfastness, there will be a greatness in your life that is so different from the rest of the world. So I guess I've got to ask you, what is your hope? What is the resolution under all the resolutions? Is there a both-endness to that? That's the nature of Christian hope. Finally, how do you get it? You see, I've, you know, I've been a pastor for six and a half, seven years full time. I'm still a, a rookie in some ways, but I've got enough time under my belt to see that you know, I, I watch people and I see people in the ministry where, uh, where they say, oh, look, I believe in Jesus Christ and he's my hope. And then the minute that, that something comes along, they're absolutely crushed. And I guess the litmus test for you and I as individuals and as a community this year is how, how are we going to face those challenges? Uh, how will you? How can you face, at the, at the worst case, a death? You know, how will you face disappointment this year? How will you face a derailment of your agenda this year? And you see, is, is, it, is it not possible as a Christian to say, yes, my hope's in Jesus Christ, and yet you look no different from anyone else in your workplace or your family or in the rest of the world? You look no different. Why is that? Why is it? Paul, Paul got it, verse 18. Verse 18, he says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. I pray that your eyes of your heart might be opened, Paul prays. And now this doesn't really make any sense again. You've got to get into the context and the language again. But you know, a couple of facts. Before we said to be a Christian is to have hope. 
Right? So you're not a Christian unless you're a person of hope. You were the first to hope in Christ. So to be a Christian is to have hope. But then Paul here is writing to people who are Christians. So to be a Christian is to have hope, but he's saying here, I pray that you have hope. So the deeper question is, why is Paul praying for something that Christians emphatically should have anyway? They should have that. Why is he praying like that? Class? The, the reason is, uh, it's, it's one thing to know of the hope of Jesus Christ. It's another thing to experience it. It's like being stuck out in the country town, outback New South Wales. You've got the hire car. It's running on empty. It's looking pretty, pretty dire, desperate. It's like 100 k's to the next town. But thankfully, you see a light on the horizon and it's a petrol station. You think, oh, thank goodness I'm, I'm down to the last little bit where it's just running on the fumes and you play that guess game with the, the empty side of the tank. And you pull up and you go, that, that, that's fine because you know in yourself that you have an inheritance. You've been a child of a wealthy set of parents and, and you know that this is a no-brainer because you need 50 bucks worth of fuel. But in your bank account is $1.3 million of cash. Uh, it's, it's a no-brainer. So you get out of the car, you walk up. Get over there, go to the ATM because no cash in your wallet and you open up the wallet and, and it should be here somewhere and it should be here somewhere and, and then you realise that you've forgotten your ATM card. And at that point, even though you are a child of the inheritance, $1.3 million cold hard cartoonies sitting in the bank, you are as lonely, and desperate, and cold, and broke as if that inheritance never existed. Why? Because you can't access it. You see, at that point, you're sitting there and you go, it's one thing to know of your inheritance, it's another thing to experience it. And so, friends, I guess what I'm asking tonight is that you need to use God's ATM card to access your hope. That, and look, I'm going to be real with you. That is the great challenge if you're struggling with this tonight. Now, that's why Paul starts praying. What's fascinating about this passage now as we go in, I want to share just a couple of quick points in terms of how we get this hope. What is fascinating about this is, is that Paul really doesn't give a four-step strategy like Sam is tonight. So at least I did the work. Um, I'll pay for that when I get to heaven. <laughs> Paul will be like, what'd you ever do? <laughs> I was flogged, I was beaten. I'm like, Paul, already read it, bro. Um, look, I, what I'm getting is, I, I don't want you to go home and go, wow, look, you know, that was, that was a nice sermon. That was, he's a nice young gentleman. That was a nice, that was a nice sermon. I, I don't want you to go, well, yeah, wow, that, that was cool. I, w- I want you to go home knowing what you can do about it tonight. Four things. First thing you need to do is, is you need to get intentional. You get this hope intentionally. Remember, I've said to you before, you know, God is like a spiritual tornado. You, know, you, you, don't, you don't take God up. God takes you up. You know, I mean, like, and it's typically this type of year where you think, look, I'm going to get back into the fitness. I'm going to do some yoga. And I might try Christianity. I might give it a bit of a bell. I might take up Christianity alongside you. Look, you, t- you don't take up Christianity. Christianity takes you up. God's a spiritual tornado. He's unstoppable. He's uncontrollable. 
And like I've said, you know, being intentional really is like being that, that wonderful great movie, movie of the 80s called Twister. You know, you've, got to be, you've got to be a storm chaser for the presence of God. And, and storm chasers have got to be some of the most intentional people on the planet, right? They're, they're just crazy for their tornadoes. They've got, they've got the big four-wheel drives and they've got the quarter of a million dollar satellite dish. Boop. You know, on top of their roof, and they've got all sorts of devices plugged into their car and screwed into the dashboard, and they've got navmans, and they've got computers from the Bureau of Meteorology, and, and they're doing all of this just to scramble into the path of the tornado. They're the most intentional people on the planet. <laughs> what, what will you do to get intentional, to intentionally get in the path of God this year? I mean, one of the great things about this passage, when Paul starts praying, I mean, he's saying, oh, I can't give you some five-step plan to this. He's a tornado. He, if he sweeps you up, he sweeps you up. If, if it takes you know, three months, six months. I, I can't tell if he can, but you've got to get intentional. You've got to get into community. You've got to be part of God's community here. It's about getting into a group for the first time, perhaps. It's about deciding to embark on a Bible reading plan. It's, 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 it's about... Um, serving and being part of the body of Christ and experiencing God that way. You've got to be intentional. Second one, you've got to be prayerful. You get this hope prayerfully. Uh, I think this is, is one of the most, the most powerful aspect of it. You see, interestingly, as I said, Paul doesn't tell him in four steps how to get this. He just says, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you get this. And it's not because he's wussing out like I was implying. Paul was praying because he knows that's what it is going to take for you to get this in your life tonight. You see, because so often people, people want to go chasing down God through all sorts of strategies, but you need to, to be strategizing and skilled and disciplined, not in the everyday life of church, but in, not just in that, but but in prayer, you know, prayer, the connection between that view of the future and your present only comes through prayer for the Christian. And so prayer is, prayer is like a light switch. You know, the light switch has no power in and of itself, but it connects you to the power, right? And that power comes into your life from the inside out. All of these things, this hope will not happen in your life if you're not prayerful about it. Christians, we need to be prayerful about this. <laughs> Not non-believer tonight. That's, prayer is going to be the way that you can have this hope indwell you tonight through Jesus Christ. And so for us practically as Christians, I just want to encourage us this year, let's get deliberate about our prayer life. Let's get deliberate about our prayer life. You can all, use all sorts of acronyms. You can use, I don't know, uh, Acts is one that I often use, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Supplication means to ask God for stuff. And what's funny is that, the T and the S, they're, they're normally the easy ones. It's the adoration and the confession bit that you really need to work at. You know, have, have you got a disciplined prayer life strategy in your life for 2014? Uh, thirdly, patiently. You've got to do this patiently. Patiently. And I don't want to rush God this, uh, this evening. I don't, I don't want to say that if you do these four steps, walk out the door, it's all going to be right for you. But you do need to be patient. Look at verse 17. He says, I keep asking that the Lord God of our the, the asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you here it is, may he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better. You know, you know what Paul's saying there? When he's praying, instead of saying, Here's a strategy, he's saying, The hope 
The hope that Sam's talking about tonight is a revelation of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, not, it's not a four-point strategy, although the strategies can get you in the vicinity of it. But this is a gift of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it yourself. The Holy Spirit, remember he says in John's Gospel, I will take what is mine and he will make it known to you, says Jesus. And so the Spirit is all about revealing the nature of God. It's, it's like uh, my first date with Kristen, my wife, my now wife, uh, we, went, we went down to Manly for a nice dinner and... And in order to get the conversation going through all of those crazy heart-stopping nerves that you have and sweaty palms and the whole lot, uh, we, we talked about, we just asked each other, tell us a different chapter of your life. And so we would have goes at saying, well, chapter one, I was born in Manly Hospital and uh, chapter two, so on and so forth. And we went through. So apparently she'll say, I'm embellishing for the PM service because you know well. Uh, she says apparently um, she only got up to chapter three whilst I got up to chapter 15 on the first date. So who did, who did all the revelation that night? Um, but, but the principle rings true. You know, there'll still be moments for her and I where I'll say, what's chapter 486? Because any relationship, and Christianity talks about God as a relationship, there has to be a progressive relation, uh, revelation of, of who the other person is. You've got to get, you've got to, get to know him. Uh, when Paul says no, the biblical definition of no is understanding plus experience. And so you, you just you need to be patient. I'll encourage you to be patient with this if you don't feel this hope straight away. But God will, if you engage him, reveal more of his chapters. And ironically, you can start with his chapters. He broke his life up into chapters, which is really good in the Bible. A little less interesting than a first date, but still does the job. Now, finally, finally, fourthly, intelligently. Verse 13, you've got to do this intelligently. It says here, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. And I'm reading from the wrong chapter. So we'll go back here. It's all about revelation. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth. When you heard the word of truth, you you get this hope through the word of truth. The hope that I'm talking tonight is not some weird Mystery, like the sound of one hand clapping. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not some weird mystery for you tonight. Yeah, a lot of people come to Christianity because they want the experience of God. In fact, they see Christians who do have this grounded hope. And they, send, they say, I want more of that. I want to be more like that person. I, I want to experience this. I want that. And so they go chasing the experience. They don't go chasing the truth. And what I've come to discover is that often... Um, Often, often experience will flow from truth. If you start with the word, you will often get a wonderful, goosebumpy, hair on the back of your neck experience of God. I've had him. And nine out of ten times it's come from meditating on his truth. And very rarely, although it is possible, very rarely do you get truth flowing out of experience. But what I'm saying is don't chase the experience of God. Chase the truth of God. If you want that hope, hope. Paul is saying you've got to let this stuff ring around your head. You've got to meditate on it. You've got to, as Luther would say, beat it into your head repeatedly until, until you get this and the truth of God explodes in your heart in a way that is totally unexpected. What's your, what's your resolution under the resolutions? Why do you want what you're resolving for?
you, you are, I'd go as far as to say, you are what you hope for. And so do you have hope this year in the first place? Do you, do you have the hope that I'm talking about? Not the hope of this world, but the hope that is beyond, the hope that, that is that eternal reference point that is Jesus Christ. Do you have that? You can't have that tonight through prayer. Just, you just got to flick the light switch at the back of the auditorium. We've got a whole heap of them. It's called the ministry team. And we'd love to play, pray with you and flick the switch on in your life. But more importantly, Christian, brother, sister, um, guys, what, what, are, what are we going to look like this year? What are we going to look like as a church? That Look, we're going to have some amazing moments. And I still believe, and you know now, I'll say it now because you know where I'm coming from. I still believe that this year is going to be our best year yet. When I say best year, I don't mean our rosiest year, and I don't mean a year free of challenges. But I mean our best year because we are a community and we are a people and we are a family that when faced with the various challenges that are inevitably going to hit us this year, there's resolve and there's steadfastness and there's difference and there's glory in our lives. Will you, will you be different? Will you be different? The only way is if you move from knowing of the hope that is in Jesus Christ to experiencing it. The resolution under all the resolution. He's the one that we have the hope in. Let's pray.